Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. He just hid out. They yeah. never knew he was there. <laughs> Which is, it is a really cool story. In St. Louis County, there's a park that owes its existence to a single animal. Not a species, but a literal individual creature. That's where the park got its name, Lone Elk. Stretching over 500 acres, Lone Elk Park contains herds of elk as well as bison. These majestic, often massive mammals are not there as some side attraction. The park is their permanent address. They're residents of this place. That wasn't always the case, however. There was a time when no bison roamed here, and the elk were nearly eradicated at the hands of the U.S. Army. The story has been told before in pieces spread out over years in news reports and records going back to the 1950s. And it's being told again. Fast forward to last month when a local unseen St. Louis writer and history buff, Jackie Dana, got a chance to visit Lone Elk Park up close. What came of that visit was a deep dive into the park's history and a photo-filled, info-packed account titled How a Single Animal Changed History. And we're happy to have Jackie Dana here with us today to share more. Jackie, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Sergeant Cheryl Fector. Sergeant Fector is a ranger with deep experience who spent more than 30 years working with St. Louis County Parks. Sergeant, great to have you here as well. Thank you very much. So first, uh, Jackie and Cheryl, the two of you actually met uh, just last month at Elk Park. And Jackie, I understand that it was Cheryl who inspired you to dig deeper into the history of the park. Tell us about that visit to the park and what made it different from others. Well, I had received um, a notification saying that they were doing this special access to Lone Elk Park where you would show up at 6 a.m. for a feeding. And it was a very limited opportunity. There were just three vehicles. And uh, when we got there at 6 a.m., we were greeted by Sergeant Fector, who um, told us, I don't know, we spent maybe 15, 20 minutes talking about the park and uh, the history and the animals and all that. And uh, when I showed up, I had just thought I'd get to see animals. I had no idea that there was such a cool history. Yeah. And that's what inspired me to go further. So, Sergeant Fector, how is it that you introduce Lone Elk Park to visitors, especially you know, compared to the way other St. Louis County parks are described? Lone Elk Park is very unique to the area because you can walk around in the park with the elk. We have a three-mile trail called White Bison Trail, and you can interact with them from a distance. The The bison are land, they're the largest land mammal, mammal in um, the United States, and so it is a very unique experience to get up close to them and see them on a, a one-on-one basis. Mm-hmm. Lone Elk Park is free to everybody who comes through, and so it's just a great attraction for yeah. St. Louis. And is there something that you recall 
having said, whether it was sort of what you is part of the standard description or something different that caught Jackie's attention? Well, I guess you'd have to ask Jackie that it was uh, it the history of Lone Elk is very interesting in the way it got its name, mm-hmm. and Jackie wrote that description very well yeah. in her article. I'd like to invite you to this conversation. If you have a question or comment about Lone Elk Park, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpr.org. Now, Jackie, tell us a little bit more about your visit last month. It was not your first time, um, though it was a much earlier outing. What else was different? Well, I think there, there were two things. First, it was a feeding, so we got much closer to the animals. When you go to the park, usually you're driving through, often with many, many cars. Um, it wasn't my experience when I'd been there, but there can be literal, literal traffic jam of just cars lined up, and so the animals are a little bit off to the distance. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to come right up to your car. For the feeding, they were feeding the animals right at the edge of the road, and they were literally surrounding us. And there was at one point I could have reached out my driver's side window and petted one of the bison. He was literally right outside my car yeah. door. I think in your piece you wanted to like scratch yeah, him a little, little bit. Oh, I really did. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that was different about it was that we did have this little history. And I have to admit, I hadn't bothered to really examine the history of Lone Oak Park before that. So you know, I thought the name was just kind of a, a fun name. I didn't realize that the story really was a lone elk that had survived um, a quite a quite remarkable survival story, actually, and that, that he had given the park its name. Yeah. So then going from hearing that information to, I need to know more and I'm going to write about this. I mean, tell us about the distance between those two and... Well, I, I write articles uh, for my Substack Unseen St. Louis um, regularly, although I actually had a bit of a drought where I hadn't been writing for a while. And when I heard the history, I was like frantically taking notes on my phone. Um, and I took these photos. I was like, I really want to share them with more than just Facebook or something. So I decided I would just dig into the history a little bit, flesh it out. I didn't think there would be that much. And when I did dig into it, everything that I had learned was, you know, it just it just kind of opened up from there. So uh, I just decided I would post it there and share my photos and share the history as much as I could find. Yeah. There's not a ton of history out mm-hmm. there, but what I could find, I, right. you know, wrote up. So Sergeant Fector, I mean, people have phones on them, like, all the time these days taking pictures. Was there something apart from that that gave you the signal that Jackie was more than just sort of a casual observer? Well, she was asking more in-depth questions than people usually do. (laughs) Usually it's just a general, how many elk are there? How many bison are there? You know, what is this structure? Because there is a big observation tower right as you enter the park. What is this for? Did you build it for the elk so that we could see them? And so she started asking questions about the land management and the the history of how it got its name and uh, what kind of forest it is. So I got a little bit of indication that she was 
a little bit more than a casual observer through the questions that she was asking mm-hmm. me. And how did that make you feel? <laughs> I like it because, like you said, I've been a park ranger for 33 years. And I like people who want more knowledge and who ask interesting questions that make me think. Um, if I am just going through the same information time after time, I, I like using my background and my knowledge to give them the information they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's another way to enjoy it, too, yes. I would imagine. Yeah. Yes. So, Jackie, you wrote about Elk Park, posted to that substack, Unseen STL. Um, and you begin by writing that Lone Elk Park is, quote, a testament to history's ability to blend natural beauty and wartime necessity. Um, that's pretty intriguing on its own. Now, the area was once known for mining. What do we know about the origins of the area before the 1920s? Well, from what I could find, it was originally um, land that was used by Native people to um, collect chert for, you know, arrowheads, spearheads, whatever they would use the chert for. And then when the European settlers came in, you know, when St. Louis was being uh, formed in the early 1800s, they discovered that there was limestone. And so it its first sort of uh, modern usage was for limestone mining, which was used for construction and railways in the area, but also limestone is used for a ton of different commercial products. Mm-hmm. And so for for... Uh, probably about 30 years, that that's its primary use. Right, right. Now, World War II ended up changing the area, um, specifically um, around what the, the land was used for. Um, and you wrote, Jackie, that the U.S. Army stored ammunition in this area, which was at the time called Tyson Valley Powder Farm, um, Powder Farm, and that's powder as in gunpowder. So what was the Army doing with this powder farm, Jackie? From what I understand, it was used as a place where they could store some of the munitions, and they also used it as a firing range, um, which is, from my understanding, what the existing structures um, there were used for. So you have some walls, you have that observation tower, you have some buildings that... Um, date back to the 1940s where they were, you know, using it as an active firing range. Mm -hmm. And from what Sergeant Fector told us, um, they had cleared out all of the, or a good chunk of the vegetation. So it was a much more wide open space at that point in time. Sergeant Fector, are there remnants of that area still visible in the park today? Yes, in the bison area, a lot of people think there's a, well, there is a big structure, and people think it is a place for the bison to stay when it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what it is. It was a bunker that they would test the ammunition in. And so they would send tracer rounds from the front of the park back into that bunker so they could test their ammunition. If you go to the visitor center in Lone Elk, you can see pictures of a tracer round that they sent off from the tower 
to one of those bunkers in the back of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also storage bunkers in there, but the tower was mainly an observation post that they could um, see how well the ammunition was working. Mm-hmm. And is this the sort of information that you shared with with visitors? Yes, yeah. yes. When they go on the tour in the morning, then uh, I talk to them for 15, 20 minutes until the operations people show up to do the feeding and answer their questions and give them that information like that before the tour. And um, the tour actually started in 2020. It was a way for us to do a COVID-friendly mm. program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to cancel a lot of our programming that we had in 2020. And so people stay in their cars. They don't have any contact with each other. And this was a way for us to have them still visit the park, enjoy the park, and uh, we could do some programming for them. Mm-hmm. Now, Jackie, the area that is now Lone Elk Park wasn't just important to the storage of conventional bombs during World War II. You write about how St. Louis, this region, was part of the creation of the biggest bombs of the Mm -hmm. war and secret testing of atomic weapons, a subject, we should note, that inspired the non-Barbie blockbuster (laughs) movie of the summer, um, Oppenheimer. And you make this connection in your piece, Jackie. Um, What did you find in your research about the atomic bomb and this park? Well, it it was sketchy, and I I have to be um, clear about that. I had done previous research on um, how the Manhattan Project used St. Louis and Mallinckrodt chemical in particular as a way to refine uranium, and the people working on it didn't actually know at the time what they were doing. Um, But a lot of uranium and other radioactive materials were processed here in the 1940s through, I guess, the 1960s, um, largely by Mallinckrodt. And after they produced all that material, there was clearly waste material. I mean, we have that problem to this day. What do we do with, you know, radioactive waste? And so a lot of it was stored in various places in North St. Louis, such as just north of the airport, um, and then later in Weldon Spring where they um, moved the processing. But from what I understood, they did have some of that material stored at Lone Elk after um, after the war. And yeah. I guess before um, the Korean War where they the, the park was returned or it became a park for that small window between World War II and, and the Korean War. And, mm-hmm. and I assume that there was some storage at that point. It's it's a little unclear exactly where and how much, but yeah. but that they did use that. I mean, it was an army base. And then um, th- when they finally made it a park after the Korean War, they had to do some re- remediation of the entire area or, or testing before they turned it into a park. And then WashU took over the Tyson Research Center and, the, and then they had the Wolf Sanctuary. They had to test it all. And from what I could gather, there really wasn't much um, material that they had to to deal with, so I don't think the storage was significant, but but they did was apparently there. source some there. Yeah, we're talking today about the dramatic history of Lone Elk Park and how it got its name, and we're here with Jackie Dana, writer, history buff, and creator of the Unseen St. Louis Substack, where she wrote about Lone Elk Park last month, and also. Sergeant Cheryl Fector, who has worked as a ranger for more than 30 years with St. Louis County Parks. Now, let's talk about the period between the wars. 
After World War II in 1947, St. Louis County bought that land and turned it into a park, and it was called Tyson Valley Park, which you've just um, mentioned, Jackie, and it was twice the size of Forest Park. So this is a lot of of land. And 12,000 people attended its opening in 1948. This is also where elk and bison were transported to the park, and they came from Yellowstone and Oklahoma. Sergeant Fector, are elk and bison, I mean, were they native to the area? And do you know if this is something that was common at that time, that is to open a new park and essentially import animals to stock it? I don't know if anybody else was thinking about that or had done it. But yes, elk and bison were native to the Missouri. And they roamed the plains. Um, Before it was settled, Missouri was mainly a prairie state uh, with some savannas and some forests. So they had not been native to, they had not lived in Missouri for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but they originally were here. Uh, Actually, elk and bison were in all the continental United States before it was settled. So I believe back then they probably wanted to reintroduce the native animals to the area so that people could see them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back then there were white-tailed deer, but there weren't any larger land mammals than the deer. And so... I'm sure it was extremely popular back then, as it is now, to be able to see those animals up close and personal. Mm -hmm. Especially if it is bison, sort of the largest one. I can't imagine what it would feel like to to be near one of them. I mean, I'm a small person, but (laughs) even so. Just as it seems like this park is thriving, in 1951, the Korean War changes everything. And this is really where we get to the story of the Lone Elk, part of Lone Elk Park. How did the Army treat the animals in the park, Jackie? Well, unfortunately, when the Army took the land back over, they decided that the bison and the elk weren't conducive to ammunition testing. Um, They, from what I understand, with the bison, they, they sold, gave them away, somehow relocated the bison, whatever it took to get rid of them. But with the elk, which is a species that is hunted, um, they saw no problems with doing that. And mm-hmm. so they hunted the bi- uh, hunt, I'm sorry, they hunted the elk um, to remove them from the park. Um, and uh, when they when they caught an animal, they donated the the meat from the animal to food pantries or what have you. So it wasn't wasted. Mm -hmm. But that's how they cleared the animals out of the park at the time. Now, from what I understand, they left the deer alone because the deer were, you know, they're deer, they're smaller, they kind of kept to themselves. And what they didn't realize is that when they did that, there was one elk, a male elk, that escaped notice or wasn't caught, wasn't hunted. I'm not sure if they actually knew he existed. It was such a large territory at that point that he just hid out, and they yeah. never knew he was there. <laughs> Which is it is a really cool story. Now, I want to make sure that we talk about what happened with the elk before we move on to that, the lone elk. The history um, of this incident incident that is from Esley Hamilton, um, and that's the former preservation historian for St. Louis County Parks. He described a bulk 
elk ramming a, an army vehicle. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Fector, is that plausible? And what would what would drive an elk to do something like that? During mating season, we call it the rut. And during the rut, the bull elk can be aggressive. Some can be more aggressive than others, but they become unpredictable in the mating season. In Lone Elk currently, we have uh, when the bulls, their testosterone starts to go a little crazy, and they will become more aggressive. So it is completely plausible that one of the elk would have rammed a vehicle, probably could have easily damaged a vehicle back then. And uh, currently our bull elk that we have, he's fairly calm, fairly gentle, but we had one before that called number 13. And number 13 was aggressive during the rut and he has damaged vehicles. Mm -hmm. So it's completely plausible that one would have damaged the car. Now, Madonna from Crestwood sent us an email about an encounter with some bison in Lone Elk Park, and she writes, One of my most intense moments from any park was the day we sat for several hours on the road inside Lone Elk Park while the massive harem master bison stood in the middle of the road. Eventually, the tiny red sports car in front of us decided he was going to slowly roll forward and nudge the bison. My husband immediately threw his car in reverse and started backing up. He waved out his window for everyone to back up quickly. We wanted to be as far away from that bison's reaction as we could get. The driver from the red car saw my husband moving back and yelled, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) My husband yelled back, sit here until he moves. So do things like this happen? (laughs) Uh, Just happened today. We just got a call at a lone elk that the elk were in the road. Okay. And so people want us to go clear. Um, We can get the elk out of the road when we get to the park. The bison are a different story. Oh. Um, They're very unpredictable and there's a very good reason that people are not allowed to get out of their cars in the bison area right? because they can be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, if there is, if the bison are in the road, you just have to sit there and wait for them to decide to get out of the road. Um, we have one male, and he's our only adult male. We only have one adult male at a time. And he weighs about 2,000 pounds, and he's six to seven feet tall, and he is as big as a car. Yeah. So if he decides he doesn't want to move, Uh we're not going to move him. That's the decision for everybody. Yes. Jackie, the Korean War ends, and in 1961, the Army decides again that it doesn't need the area to store artillery anymore, and St. Louis County reclaims the park. You write that the initial plans were to turn the area into a kind of winter ski resort, and that didn't happen because of an unexpected discovery, which you mentioned earlier. What changed the fate of the park? So they found an elk a male elk that had, like I said before, had escaped notice. And he was there through the entire time they were using um, the area for ammunition testing, whatever they were doing. Um, And uh, they were never, like I said, I don't know if they knew he was there and they just weren't able to catch him or if he actually hit out. But at any rate, when, when it converted back to the county or was in the process, he reappeared 
and they were fencing off the area to separate what became Lone Elk Park from the research center, and they actually put some sand down to see when he would cross through that area. And when he was in what is now Lone Oak Park, they were able to close up the fence. And so they were able to capture, I guess is the best way, the elk into what's now Lone Oak Park um, so that he wouldn't bother the researchers. And it's it changed their plans because they were going to do a winter park with sledding and skiing and whatnot. And when they had the elk, they decided maybe we should go back to having the elk and bison that we had before. Yeah. And because of the, the lone elk uh, holdout, that gave the park its name. Right. And there were many people interested in this, mm-hmm. um, lots of popular interest, and something called elk stocks. What were those? Right. So there were some elementary school students from the Rockwood School District that uh, got, which is a neighboring area, they got really excited about the idea of having this be a park for elk. And so they got together and raised money by selling what they called elk stock, which were little certificates, you know, you could buy for like a dollar or something um, to help raise money to um, bring some elk back. And it was more than the money. I don't, I don't think the money was ever the issue. It was showing that the community really supported this idea and that it had captured the interest of school kids. You know, the whole area just really liked this idea. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was probably the tipping point, that it wasn't the elk himself, but the fact that so many people wanted this to be a park for the animals and not for winter sports yeah. that made them decide to do this. So... Uh, in this last minute, Sergeant Fector, um, what is it that makes this park so much fun for you to work at? Well, I enjoy seeing the animals myself. It is something different every day. And I would say probably the best memory that I have of Lone Elk Park is I was in there in the winter. I was the only person in the park. It had started snowing, these big, giant flakes, but the road wasn't covered yet. And the bison, I can't humanize the bison, but it seemed like they were playing. And they were all, the whole herd was running through the woods, weaving in and out of the trees, running around my car, doing circles around it for about five minutes. And if you have been in Lone Elk, you'll see that they're usually laying laying on the ground, they're not up and moving around. So that was a special memory. Every time I go to Lone Elk, I see something new, something different that I totally enjoy. Sergeant Cheryl Fector is a ranger with St. Louis County Parks, and Jackie Dana is a local writer and the author of Substack Unseen St. Louis, her history of Lone Elk Park, which we've linked to on our website, is titled How a Single Animal Changed History. Jackie and Sergeant Fector, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. 
find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air, suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.